Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter. This is uh, part four of the series that we're in right now called Under the Sun. And I just want to start off with this picture right here. This is, uh, this is a shot of George Washington National Forest. It's a picture that I didn't take. That's Google Images. But I have been there and also not during that time. So I'm looking at this thing going lush green leaves. I'm thinking that it's sometime maybe May or June when everything is like in full season. For me, this picture, George Washington National Forest, this lookout, um, this is sophomore year of college spring break. I'm there in March, and I decide to hang out to go backpacking there with uh, three friends of mine, four of us total. And I learned an important lesson on that trip. As an emerging adult trying to be responsible, I did the responsible thing. Ahead of packing up, we checked the weather forecast for the week. And in backpacking, we're like, hey, that's a responsible thing to do. And we saw, hey, I mean, it's going to 60 a lot of the time. It's going to get down to like 40 degrees. We can plan appropriately. What I learned in the time since then is that there can be between a temperature swing between the cities in the, in the bottom of the mountain and up at the top of that Appalachian range, there can be a temperature swing of like a couple of dozen degrees. And so when and there's like, uh, you know, it gets down to 40 degrees at the cities at the bottom of the mountain. And we drive as high as we could and then we hike the rest of the way thousands of feet up and we see one of these overlooks and we're like, this is gorgeous, right? You got West Virginia on this side, we've got Virginia on this side and the valley below is the dividing line between those two states. What a great place to set up camp. And we did on the top of a mountain. Cannot believe it. We, we go to sleep that night. Storm comes in because again, mountains and our rain fly blows off. It's presumably still blowing around West Virginia somewhere. There's standing water in our tent that night and the next morning. We're just, so, all of our stuff is soaked, is wet. The good news though, is that it did not rain a single drop for the entire rest of the trip because it snowed and it sleeted for the rest of the trip. It was frozen. We decide the next day to illegally build a campfire in the national park, thinking this is a survival situation, people will understand, and maybe even give us a ride back to our cars, right? We're trying to dry out our sleeping bags. They melt because that's what they do live and learn. Our Nalgene bottles of water froze completely solid, undrinkable, like just little ice bricks. Thanks very much. Me and those four guys, two tents, me and this other guy in the tent, we are so cold that night is that we're like fighting. We're crawling on top of each other to use the other guy as insulation to the frozen tundra below. <laughs> I've never been so cold in my entire life. All right? And I have a couple of realizations out of that experience. Number one, if you're ever wondering why I make so many disparaging comments towards camping, that's why. And number two, number two, I realized on a very serious note, I realized I had this uh, reflecting back. I'm glad that I was not traveling alone. I'm glad, as awful as the experience was and everything, the elements that we faced, I'm glad I was not doing it by myself. And that's what this morning is about. This morning is about traveling, the journeys that we take, and the wisdom of taking somebody with us, and the wisdom, the danger of going alone. 
See, I want to hold open the very real possibility that a lot of us, we get this thing, we get this vertical relationship, we get this right. Like you and Jesus, man. You're reading the Bible, learning from God, praying, communicating your heart to God. It's awesome. Turning on the encounter worship top 30, worship jams, right? Going to the gym or going out for a walk and like you and God, this vertical thing, you've got it going on. I want to leave open the possibility that vertically you're crushing it. Horizontally though, relationally though, I want to, I want to go beyond this morning of just you're missing something. And I want to say you're putting yourself in danger. It's threatening you. And I'm saying that not just for me and going backpacking. I'm talking about Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, this wisdom literature that we're learning about the wisdom of taking someone with us on the journey. So I'd like to invite you to open up a Bible that are underneath the chairs in front of you. You can keep that if you want. Just take it home. It's not theft if we give it to you. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. If you didn't figure it out, we're phone friendly as well. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up, hang out in that passage this entire time, Ecclesiastes 4, pick it up, read it through here in verse 7. And it says, uh, Solomon, the teacher now, is, is uh, speaking, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? What's the point? So the, the picture that we're getting is Solomon, a king over Israel. It's this huge, sprawling empire by the time he took it. And he steps out of his palace, and he's going down the big steps, and he's, he's through the marketplace. He goes to one of the, the higher-end neighborhoods in Jerusalem with the fancy, fancy houses, the upscale homes. And he's just walking through, and it's desert, and it's hot during the day. And so the windows were just cutouts into, into the brick. My point is, he could hear just walking by outside, he could hear what's happening inside. And he's walking through, he's walking by these homes, and in one he can hear, he can hear mealtime dishes kind of clanging. He can hear in another laughter. He can hear just conversation in another. And he can hear arguing, fighting, right? Something in, in, in a different one. He goes by one of these houses, and, and he walks by, and there's nothing. And he like backs up to the window. Maybe he missed it. No, 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 nothing. He peeks in. He can see a guy sitting there by himself. Nobody else in the house. And he, just, he steps back. Now Solomon, he just makes this observation and goes, you know, I wouldn't have noticed it before. That's the nicest home on the block. It's strange, isn't it? And the guy, you get this sense, like this guy on the inside. Most people can say things like, why are you working so hard? It, you know, it's because I'm trying to give my kids a better life. I work so hard so that, so that I can change my family tree. That's why I do what I do. Work my fingers to the bone. That's why I work the long hours. I do this for them. And Solomon is making this comment. And he's going, no, no. He has neither son nor brother, which in that time was shorthand for he had no heirs. The people that got your stuff when you died, were non-existent to this man. He has no one. You ever, you ever like go through 
an estate sale? You know when somebody, somebody like passes on, right? They kick it and then, and then you go through and everything in the, in the house is sort of like it was, you know? And a coffee pot is uh, still on the counter. The china cabinet, because you know grandma had a china cabinet, right? And, and it's still, it's behind the, the table where it's always been. You walk through the house and there's like a bunch of strangers. Only one thing is really different is everything has a price on it. Like nothing is going on. It's just people, strangers, are bidding over the stuff. And Solomon's walking by this guy's house and he's going, you know, it's like that. That's in the inevitable short future. The only difference between this guy's house and an estate sale next door is he hasn't kicked it yet. And he's working himself to death. And he, what is the point when you're doing life alone? And I think it changes something in, in Solomon, the teacher here. I think he has this conviction that I think a lot of us could probably benefit from. He's like resolving in that moment that a shift needs to occur. He needs to today shift from isolation to integration. He needs to stop doing life all by himself and find some people to do life together with. Shift this morning from isolation to integration. And he's going, it's not just because I'm, I'm afraid of missing out on a good chunk of life. It's not just so that I can have somebody to give my stuff to when I die. It's for my own safety and well-being. He continues on. He goes, uh, this too, continuing on in verse 8, this too is meaningless. A miserable business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Notice he says that two are better than one. He, he doesn't say that two are easier than one because a lot of the times we, we think that two should be easier and he kind of bursts that bubble and say, not the case. Anybody who has lived with another person, it, it doesn't have to be like a marriage thing. You could just move in with your college roommate off campus or something like that. Just live with a bunch of friends. Live with a bunch of strangers where you like Airbnb it up or something, right? Just live with some other people for a little while and you realize <laughs> it is not necessarily easier. Even if you split the rent four ways, it's not easier. Why? because they have a different way of doing everything. When I, was, when I was single and living by myself, I thought that I knew, I knew the right way about everything. I thought I was a delightful person right up until July 29. Like I just, like I thought I had it all figured out. And then I realized, church, I realized that there are actually two definitions of clean. There was mine where stuff is like picked up and put away. The countertop is clear. And then there's the other definition of clean, which is like 99.9% of germs eradicated on contact Lysol clean. Like, like disinfected kind of clean. Two definitions I learned about clean. Two are not easier than one. I, I learned that there are two ways of watching TV. Later on, I would learn that there's two ways of disciplining children. I would learn that there's two ways of hanging the toilet paper roll, the, the flap on the front and the flap in the back. If you're wondering which is the right way to do it, you didn't ask, but I'll tell you anyway. The right way of hanging it is any way where you didn't have to do it. Pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> two not easier. 
But the author here, this commentators, they come into this. The commentators write about this and they're saying, this is almost a guarantee coming back, a hark back to Genesis chapter two is the creation story where God creates humankind. He creates Adam in his own image. And he says, it's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. So God creates someone else so that Adam could do life together with someone else. It is not easier. No, not by a long shot. But if you put in the work, it is better as an outcome. The Jewish people, they had, in in Solomon's time, they had mountains of parables to to bring this in onto. They had a a, a parable of uh, of a man who... uh, who fell asleep for 70 years, and then he woke his parable, so it's a made-up story. Not at all like Iron Man as a plot twist, but anyway, that was 3,000 years later. The man falls asleep 70 years, and he wakes up, and he's so distraught in Jewish wisdom literature, he's so distraught, he cries out this memorable cry. He says, give me company, or give me companionship, or give me death. That's how seriously they took this sort of thing. There's an African Proverbs that I've just found incredible depth and wisdom in. It goes something like this, that if you want to go far, go alone. I'm sorry. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far together. I found so much wisdom, so much wisdom in relationships, so much wisdom in leadership with the church here and elsewhere, so much wisdom in that proverb. If you want to just run away, and just get it done, mark it off the list. Group work is not your friend, but if you want to build something that will outlast you, go together. When it comes to your life, I hope that you're aiming a little higher than than quickly going fast to get through it. I hope you're trying to go somewhere far beyond what you thought only your two feet could take you. Go together, go with, with somebody else. But he says, why? Why do that? It's because they have a good return for their labor. It's a productivity element. Like the the maximum output of the the parts is greater together than it was, than it ever could be individually. There was a study a while ago that um, people were wondering about these productivity levels. And so they assigned a task of building these little transistor radios and it was a somewhat complicated process. And so they were testing how people learned. And the first uh, uh, set of participants, they assigned the, the task. They taught the participants how to build these radios in a group together. One instructor, whole bunch of participants figured it out together. They spent the same amount of time teaching the other set of participants, only this time, one at a time, one-on-one instruction. And then they said, go ahead and build the transistor radios the group that learned together actually recalled more steps to the process and built better radios as a result than the groups that had the one-on-one instruction. So it's like wisdom in, the, in Ecclesiastes chapter four, the good return on the labor, there's a higher productivity end. There is also a higher fruitfulness as well, life in community. Uh, Study after study continues to show uh, people in community journeying together have lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety, lower stress levels. People who who are in community, whether it's with one other person in a married context or just having close friendships in their life, they tend to live longer. 
So there's like a, there's an output here. There's a productivity kind of surface level. And Solomon goes, man, that is just scratching the surface because sometimes journeying by yourself goes way beyond productivity. Sometimes it could even save your life or livelihood. We continue on in verse, verse 10 where he says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So the picture that Solomon is giving is 3,000 years ago in the Middle East, they're setting out at night. They're setting out on a journey. They're going from city to city. They would walk maybe 20, 30 miles at a time. Sometimes they had to camp out overnight. I mean, you're hiking and it's dusk and you're not seeing everything super clearly and there's rocks all the way and, and you fall down. You twist an ankle is one thing. Breaking a leg 10, 15 miles away from help on a foot? This is not a minor inconvenience. You're hearing animals howl in the distance as night, a day gives way to night and, and suddenly this is life-threatening. Pity the one who has no one to help him make it to that next generation. I don't think you're heading out on foot to get to the next city today. But the wisdom of Solomon addressing his people then, and I think the Holy Spirit today is to say, you're going out on a journey. You're venturing out somewhere. And listen to me. A fall is coming. And I want to talk directly to some of you who have fallen. Maybe you have fallen in business. You had an idea and you ventured out. You risked and risked big. You tried to reinvent yourself. You tried to do it. And a fall happened. You stumbled. It didn't turn out. And now you're paying the price. I want to talk to somebody who has fallen spiritually, fallen morally, just messed up. I want to talk to somebody today who's saying, you know what? The future is never going to be like the past. The past is broken. And whatever redemption comes, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I cannot get that back because of something that I have done. I have veered off the path. I found myself a rock. I fell and broke the leg. I'm in danger. And you learn something in those moments. If you're wise, you will learn and you will take note. Who stays with you? Who has got your back? You learn in those moments when the condemnation comes. And, and trust me, the world's condemnation and judgment will come on you. You learn in those moments who is for you. Because the person who is for you will look you in the eye and say, you blew it. You screwed up. You have made a fool of yourself, but you have not done it permanently. There is grace for this too. Pity the one who falls and has no one to remind them of the unending compassion, love, and grace of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You learn something in those moments. A fall is coming. 
Maybe you feared off the path and you tripped. You messed up. You brought this on yourself and the condemnation rightfully comes. Maybe you're walking on the path. You were doing everything you were supposed to be doing the whole time. You didn't find the rock. It's like the rock jumped out and found you. And you trip and you fall. And it wasn't your fault, but that doesn't stop the bleeding. It hurts. You didn't cause this. He caused this with what he did. She caused this with what she did. I didn't make this mistake. They did. And now I hurt as, as a result of it. You didn't have to cause the fall in order to get hurt. And it's coming. Pity the one who falls down if it's your fault or somebody else's and has no one to pick you up. You learn something else in those moments. On the fall, on the way down, you learn that there's very little you can do at that moment. But it's not true that there's nothing you could have done. The wisdom of Solomon here is to say, after you break that that foot, after you fall, listen, you're helpless. You've got nothing. But before you set out on the journey, there is something you can do. You can take someone with you. And so church, like the wisdom from Solomon, the teacher here, and the Holy Spirit to you today, take someone with you on that journey. It's not easy. We just heard about that, but it is better. Take somebody with you on that journey because, because those relationships that you establish when you're not hurting, when you haven't fallen, will sustain you after you do. After the fall happens and you're looking around and you're like, there's nobody around here to catch me. You're right. You can't just immediately have people at that point. But, but before you fell, if you're in a decent place on solid ground, okay footing, now is the time to start that investment into relationships because those relationships you establish when it does hurt will sustain you when the hurt finally does come. But listen, like a fall is just one of the dangers looking out on the journey of your life. Solomon continues and says, listen, it doesn't have to just be a fall. Let me give you another one. Verse 11, by the way, if, um, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. I learned that the hard way. Um, they'll keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Church, this is the biblical theological uh, foundation for spooning. <laughs> keep warm together. Some kid is listening. He's like watching this right now. And he's like, see, mom, dad, we're just keeping warm. It's in the Bible. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, Solomon, right? The teacher, the author, or the, he, he's, te- he's sharing these things. And he's like, just notice that when you go out on the journey, right, you, you leave the relative safety and comfort of your town, your city where you know people, and you head out into the wilderness. A desert, night falls, it gets extraordinarily cold. The same cold falls over everybody. But there's a way to face it together where there's survival or alone where there's death. So true story, this guy comes into my office one time and he sits down 
and he is just at his wit's end. I can see that immediately. And he's sharing some of the, the strain, the struggles that he has had in his uh, marriage relationship. And he's like recalling the injustices, right? Like she's you know, bad with money, goes into debt. I'm constantly trying to save and bail her out. Like just gives me no respect around other people, even our kids. Oh, and discipline. Don't get me started on how, you know, she disciplines our kids. And just like one thing, and he's like shaking, shaking his finger at me. And I'm feeling like accused. Like I didn't even do anything, but it's like, it's like, whoa, is it hot in here? Kind of deal. And let him finish. And I said, I'd like to share some wisdom with you that someone else had to share with me. I said, you have an opportunity right here in this moment. You have a choice to make. And the choice is simple. Do you want to be married or do you want to be right? Because you cannot have both in this point. And there's sometimes where that's just true. I was reminded after 9.15, someone was like, man, did I have to learn that every single time. I had to learn that. It's just like sometimes for us guys, especially, maybe it's just us, but it's like we just want to be right. And, and the wisdom there of saying, you can throw condemnation. You can lay this, the injustice of it all card. You can come back to it again and again and again and shake your finger and get angry. But at the end of the day, who are you fighting with? And who are you fighting for? That same cold is blowing over. She can feel it too. That same cold is threatening both of you. And the wisdom here is you can either face that together or you can continue to try to throw each other under the bus and potentially die. At least the relationship will. It's your choice. It's your choice. Solomon is just making an observation that when you go out and you're by yourself, you have to carry the load of everything. And quite frankly, it might just be too much. You have to carry the pots and pans and plates and cookware. You have to carry the tents. You have to carry the sleeping pad. You have to carry the blankets. You have to carry everything. But if you take someone with you, preferably a community of people, if you take them with you on the journey, you don't have to carry everything. Someone's got the pots and pans. You don't need two blankets when one will do if you're keeping close at night. Like, like a burden shared is actually a burden divided. Like you don't have to do as much. You can overcome that same cold if you face it together. And also, church, the inverse of that line is also true. That a, a joy shared is a joy multiplied. That's what community does. You don't have to face it alone. You can face it together. Okay, falls happen. The cold will set in. He says, last one here, uh, you also have people looking to harm you, verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can, nope, 12. <laughs> the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Okay, um, can I bring you in here? Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 10. Jesus told this story about a man who was journeying from one major metropolitan area to another major metropolitan area, Jerusalem to Jericho. And this guy sets out and these thieves, these bandits, right, they jump out, they beat him up, they take everything from him. They, they left him beaten, bruised, left 
for dead. And then two guys, the priest and the Levite, modern day preaching pastor and worship leader, pass by on the other side. You're familiar with the story. It's the, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, you got it. The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The most shocking part about that story was not that somebody was beaten up on the road. Like that was just like, okay, yes. So it's a Thursday. Like I get it. They, no, no. The, the shocking part of that story wasn't that someone is beat up because people just got beat up. People probably heard that story and been like, the guy, he should have known better. Right? That's just, it was such an awful place to journey. It's like the wisdom was out there so much that when you go out, he was like, you have to take someone with you. One, you're going to be overpowered no matter what. I know it. Because take someone else with you. Take someone with you because if, if then, if you get attacked, you could fight back. And you might even be able to defend yourself. Oh, and by the way, if you take like a group of people with you, you won't even get attacked in the first place. Like that's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying you can defend yourselves, right? The, an attack is coming. And so there has to be just like as your pastor, there's this warning to say, listen, you have to believe if you are leading a life that where you're becoming more and more, you're living and loving more and more like Jesus Christ all the time. I'm telling you, an attack is coming. First Peter says that, that the devil is, is, is prowling, is lurking like a lion looking for someone to devour. That could be you. The attack is coming. And you need some people when you're like, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. Like at work, at home, relationally, professionally, it just, if I'm not pushing, it doesn't move. Why is it so hard? You need someone on your side to say, could there be like a spiritual side of this thing? Is it possible that you're doing something that is worthy and worth some kind of spiritual attack? Can you find encouragement of that? I'm going to lift you up in prayer anyway. I don't understand these things, but let me pray for you. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be kind of evil attack. It could just be an attack of somebody talking about you, somebody gossiping about you, an attack of, li- of spreading lies about you. But whether it's, whether it's a fall, the cold that sets in, or an attack, listen, these obstacles, these pitfalls, these dangers are real. Take someone with you. Journey together. So Dr. Donald Joy, uh, retired professor uh, of human development for Biola University, wrote this paper a while back. The name of it was something like, um, like who's holding your trampoline, uh, which is awesome. He goes, you know, he just paints this picture, right, of uh, life inevitably has risks where you're jumping, right? You're leaving the ground for a time and there's, there's just inherent danger within that. And the danger is when you're jumping, something happens, right? The trampoline gets misplaced, it gets off angle, danger, danger could set in. So he goes, who's holding your trampoline? And he just paints as a, from a psychological perspective that your trampoline, you know, he's four sets of people holding it down. And he just kind of runs through real quick. He's like, it's just your immediate family member and members. And then there's extended family members like aunts and uncles, maybe some cousins, grandparents in that mix, in-laws. Then you've got close friends, people that have, 
have gathered with you and you've collected over the years and, and kept in touch with. And then there's just kind of uh, acquaintances, people that you just sort of kind of know. And these are the people, he goes, these are the people holding down your trampoline when you inevitably need to step out in a risk at some point. And he goes, you need to have, from the psychological perspective, you need to have somewhere between uh, 10 and 12, preferably more, people of different combinations of these four groups. What does he call it when somebody has just under 10? Neurosis. What do you have, what do you call it when you have under five? He goes, psychotic. Because the amount of risk that you're taking on by not even knowing it, just because of life's inevitable risks, is absolutely ludicrous. You need to have more than that. So I'm going to level with you. Some of you are like me. And you grew up in West Michigan, and you love this place because Michigan's great. Um, I went to high school here. I went to grade school here. I went to college here. I went to seminary here. I don't get out much. I started a church just so that I'd never had to leave West Michigan and Grand Rapids. <laughs> I flipped through the contacts in my phone, and I could not even tell you how many of them start with 616 area code. It's that many. I recognize, though, that Encounter Church is a place where it's like an airport terminal. You're coming in, and some of you are taking off. This is not your permanent home. You pull out your phone, and there is not a single number with the same area code. I want to talk to you, you people who are like, I've got 12 names on the trampoline, no problem. Please, for the sake of those who don't have it, show up. This could look like joining a small group, leading a small group, because you might have a home or apartment or feel comfortable in a room on this campus of bringing people in. Lead a small group, join a serving team, show up for the people who don't. In a very real way, it could save their life. But the teacher isn't done. He gives one last line and he says, oh, by the way, a chord cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He just wants to remind us that, that one is good. No, one is dangerous. But two is good. But something special happens at three. Something significant. Because with three cord, with, with a, three strands, and you can start to braid it. And from a physics perspective, something new happens. And I'll just tell you what this looks like. What we've got here is a mighty Mac, the, the Mackinac Bridge, five-mile-long engineering marvel, just that kind of incredible thing. You can see two, two strings are holding this thing up. The bridge by itself weighs over a million tons. That doesn't count anything that's on it. It's just these two strings are holding up over a million tons. And it's just looking at this bridge and it strikes me that it's made up of individual strands, wires, no more, each of them, no more than the thickness of a pencil. But they choose these tiny little thin wires in comparison to the whole bridge and bundle them together and braid them together, twist them together, and it comes up to something like 12,580 individual strands all wound together. Because there's power in community. You can see it. 
because the sum of the parts are greater than that of the individual. Something incredible happens when you start to twist and braid these things together, this brand of three. Elasticity is introduced into the equation. When there's just one strand, it doesn't give, it doesn't bend. Too much pressure, it breaks easily. But when you start to braid these things together from a physics standpoint, there's tension that's held up in it. And then when the, when the weight is put on and when it's under strain, the rope starts to pull out. Even a metal string will start to pull out if braided. And then it'll sink in again and pull out again. And it can actually distribute the weight more evenly and hold up under greater strand than the individual parts of it. There's this power in community, in traveling together. And so this, this passage is used so oftentimes at weddings. Well, you've probably heard it. I know that I've said it, right? These weddings, but a court of three strands. And I just want to tell you what I tell those couples when I'm standing about here to there from them. And say, on your own, you are a string and you are not enough. But braided around the strand of Christ, listen, he is far more than enough. You cannot face what life has coming at you. The fall, the cold, the attack. You cannot face these things by yourself. Weave your lives around Jesus as the center point. Keep him at the center. And listen, you're unbreakable. And then I'll usually tell them something incredibly cheesy. On their wedding day, on yours, don't just tie the knot. Braid the rope. I invite you to stand up and let's pray together. Gracious God in heaven, Lord, show us what it means this week to weave our lives around you as the center defining point. God, may we take our, uh, our work lives, wherever we're going, the job site, the office tomorrow, the classroom tomorrow. God, may we take uh, who we are as a mom, as a dad, as an aunt or uncle, as a friend, as a housemate, as a teacher. God, may we weave that around you as the center point as well. God, community relationships are so unbelievably hard at times. You did not promise that they would be easy. You told us that it'd be better. Give us the courage to, to build those relationships today, establish them today, that will sustain us when the fall comes. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Don't forget we have a table set up in the back. We would love to pray over you during this last song.